Okay. <laughs> interesting first lap. Interesting silly season. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Lots of interesting things. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to go? I am ready to go. Hello, welcome to Hard Compound, the American take on Formula One. We just finished watching quite the race in Belgium. Max put on quite the show, as did Ferrari, only with different results. We have a content-rich episode for you. We will break down the Belgian Grand Prix and the silly season. Son, can I get your take on what we just saw? Yeah, lots of fun things to talk about today. My three-word take for this race is championships already been decided. It's not three words, but it has to be said. Uh, Funny. Mine would probably be what Alonzo said. (laughs) We'll get into that later, but the veterans, Lewis and Alonzo, had a bit of a coming together in the first lap. And it took Hamilton out of the race and likely out of contention, realistically. There was always still a chance, and Mercedes has always had decent pace and superior reliability, Lewis being Lewis, with nine races left. He was within striking distance, but I think after today, that is no more. But let's first talk about Max, because this was his race I saw an interesting statistic that said, I think only the great Bruce McLaren has ever won two races in a row from P10 or further back. Max has just done that. P14, it was just amazing pace. I'm sure the conspiracy theorists can say they told Sergio to sandbag it, but I don't think that was the case. Max's car was great, and and he is just in the zone right now. Everyone is fighting for second place, and that may continue for a while. Yeah, nobody was anywhere close, not even his own teammate, Perez. Like you said, I don't believe he was sandbagging it. I mean, we saw in qualifying on Saturday, Verstappen was just so far ahead of his teammate even in qualifying. And then to get past, I don't know, something like eight or nine people in the first lap, and then to be behind a safety car backing up the rest was the perfect opportunity for for Verstappen to make a quick jump to that top spot. And he did so before even the halfway point in the race and just, you know, crushed everybody afterwards. You know, given his qualifying, I thought he was going to get up there very quickly. I thought a podium was possible, but not likely. I mean, Carlos and Charles, their cars were doing well. He had to fight through Lewis, theoretically, and George, and his teammate Sergio. So I did not think he was going to win. I thought there was a chance he would podium. You and I were here in the U.S. at several hours behind Belgium. Sunday morning, I step up to get myself another cup of coffee. I come back, and he's in first. I'm like, what the hell? I was gone 90 seconds. How did that even happen? I mean, this was just... Yeah, I mean, he was in the zone today. If I'm Ferrari, and even if I'm Mercedes, I almost write this one off. It's like, look, sometimes it's the right driver, the right car, the right track. 
no one was going to catch Max today. That said, Ferrari, Carlos, you know, he got on the podium. Charles had a chance to get on the podium. There were minor errors, you know, in qualifying. I think Ferrari put a new set of tires on on Charles's car, which they shouldn't have. They took the chance in the race to go for fast slap and pitted him late. There was a mistake. I think he was over the speed limit. But I would sort of write this one off if I'm Ferrari because I think they're closer than this race room field. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I think they can't just write it off. I I think they need to learn something from this race, from their performance. The drivers do, the pit does, strategists obviously do. And then the communication on the pit wall still is clearly lacking. I mean, they, they screwed up in multiple instances this weekend. And they still kind of look like a team doesn't really know what they're doing, which is weird because they've been in Formula One for over 50 years. I mean, yeah, it's just kind of ridiculous what's going on with that team. They have a car that should be able to compete with Red Bull, at least on most tracks. And in the last few races, they haven't really shown the ability to race Red Bull. And that I think is concerning. I think they need to figure out better race setups. You know, Red Bull has shown that they don't need to start from pole in order to win. I think Ferrari need to kind of adopt that mentality and realize that you can't just set up your car for Saturday qualifying because that doesn't actually get you anything. You need to be ready in the race. So I think overall, don't beat yourself up, I guess, with this race, like you were saying. But Take something from it, learn from it, move forward and be better next week in Netherlands. Yeah, you know, the Ferrari car, when you look over the course of the full season so far, I think it definitely can compete with Red Bull. Ferrari, a couple of years during the the Mercedes dominant era, were close, but they never could get close plus reliability. They are right now with Red Bull. A lot of the the car, I think, seems over the course of a season equal to Red Bulls. But it's, I think, the pressure getting to Charles, more so even the Carlos, the pressure getting to Bonato, the team principal, with the strategists, because they keep making mistakes. They keep, these are self-inflicted wounds. Max today and Red Bull today were dominant, but over the course of the season, that's not the case. Ferrari could even be in first. Charles could even be in first. There's just self-inflicted wounds. You know, I think we've been sort of letting Charles off the hook, blaming Ferrari strategists, for example. But there's too many of these incidents like him going over the speed limit in the pit lane today where it's like, look, you're in here to win this. And I think there's some sort of self-sabotage going on in Ferrari. And right now, it seems, even though he's a few points behind Charles, Carlos is the one that's sort of the most level-headed of anyone in that team. Yeah, I mean, I think Leclerc is generally first to blame himself when he does something obviously wrong. But I think the team as a whole has really let down both of their drivers on multiple occasions. And even, you know, sure, Speeding in the pit lane is kind of a weird one because they even have a pit limiter, so it shouldn't be a 
an issue at all. Right, right. But to even make that call to bring him in when he's sort of in the clutches of Alonzo is an unbelievably terrible decision to make on the final lap of the race. It's idiotic. And I can't understand why anyone in their right mind would believe that that is the correct decision to make when so much could go wrong for essentially zero gain. One point is not going to get you back the hundred points that are gapped between Leclerc and Verstappen currently, right? It really doesn't bring you back a whole lot. I think you take the points that you have and, and, you know, finish there and, and move on. Like you were saying, they chose to do something stupid and it backfired again. And I think they just keep doing that. They, they basically screwed up their qualifying session. And luckily, Carlos Sainz's first Q3 lap basically got him pole. <laughs> but they totally screwed it up for Leclerc, who could have potentially started ahead of Verstappen. So I, I just think, you know, the drivers and the rest of the team still are not on the same page. They're constantly asking questions of each other during the race, which you don't see any other team do. I think they're very much at odds. And I would have expected that over the break, they would have sort of ironed out some of those issues, but it seems like they haven't. And and for that reason, I don't think they get anywhere near Red Bull or Verstappen by the end of the season. Yeah, I tend to agree with that which is unfortunate because they have a great car, two solid drivers. Speaking of the sort of the changes made over the summer break, I know that teams weren't supposed to be working, not, not really, on car improvements, but this was the race where they instituted the technical directive. There were flooring issues. There was a lot of suspicions that Ferrari and Red Bull had pace over Mercedes because they were sort of found a potential loophole in the rules with with flooring and it would also effectively end the worst of the porpoising concerns but we come back and red bull is just far ahead of everyone ferrari still isn't figuring their situation out like you just said and mercedes in both qualifying and the race just just were nowhere near red bull now i want to give red bull credit because I think there's no team in this, even in Mercedes' dominant era, they had that dominant car, they had Lewis Hamilton, but Red Bull is just focused 100% on F1 success. But Ferrari is starting to spread the rumor that Red Bull is making upgrades to their car that almost certainly exceed the spending cap. Now, this year, they've instituted a, a hard spending cap on the cars, and, and all teams have to abide by it. So a few years ago, Mercedes, for those new to F1, you know, Mercedes was spending hundreds of millions on their car. Ferrari, not the same, but a lot. Red Bull right there as well. And every other team was just far behind. Now all the teams have a hard spending cap. And yet we're seeing Red Bull sort of pull ahead and seem to keep bringing upgrades to their car that make it even better. So I took the long route, but do you think there's any possible truth? Because we don't see, I'm not sure there's any transparency in the spending. I don't know how FIA is monitoring that here in the U.S. For example, the NFL has had a hard salary cap 
for well over a decade, and it is very closely monitored. But we don't know that with F1. What do you think? Any truth to those rumors? You think that that Red Bull is is just sort of well over its budget. It's 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 sort of violating the rules. I think because we're not super aware of how it's monitored, I would say I think it's like not particularly far-fetched to believe that they would be over the spending cap, mostly because I think Christian Horner is very wily and he will do whatever it takes to win. And I think if if he can figure out how to hide a few extra dollars here and there, you know, he won't hesitate to do that. At least from an outside perspective, that kind of seems like something he might try to do. So, you know, just for the sake of it would be fun if a team got caught infringing on those, like, on those particular rules. I don't know. I'd say, yeah, sure. There's, <laughs> there could be some truth to that. Right. We don't really know how much the teams have spent so far. We don't know how it's documented. So it's a good conspiracy theory. Ferrari's already started spreading this, and I almost want it to be true just for the visceral thrill of wondering what FIA would do. What would they do to Red Bull? What would they do to Christian Horner, to Max, for example? But I think we should also state that that's not the same as all the teams lobbying to have the spending cap increase. You know, I I studied the spending cap issue quite a lot, and inflation particularly with logistics and traveling, has just skyrocketed over the past year. So when Red Bull or Ferrari, for example, says they should increase the spending cap, that's a legitimate concern. I think we should also note that even though there is a spending cap, not all of the teams spend up to the spending cap. (laughs) Not all of them can. So it's still a lot of money that not all the teams have. And that's why we can still see such a distant gap between the top teams and and some of the bottom teams. Right. And and I mean, you know, Red Bull has been picking off some top Mercedes staffers over the past year. I'm guessing they're offering them a good deal more money. So, you know, I mean, that money's coming from somewhere. So it's, it's a good, I think it's a good topic to discuss. I mean, we love F1, we love racing, but, you know, here in America, like I said, we're, we're so used to, for example, the NFL spending cap that that becomes a, a big concern and a big, a big topic of discussion. How about your top five for this race, Patrick? Who do you got? Sure. So this was a, a pretty interesting race, at least to begin with, and then kind of ironed out itself throughout. But I think, you know, the top driver of the day was pretty obvious Max Verstappen, he started way back on the grid due to some grid penalties for new power units and quickly and frankly, fairly easily made his way up to the front, passing his teammate, also passing the likes of Carlos Sainz and George Russell, and just continuing to fly up the road, getting fastest lap. And actually, he was fastest in qualifying too, right? So yes. Unfortunately, didn't start on pole because of those penalties. But yeah, overall, his weekend was far and away the best of of any driver. Nice. I also have Max. I mean, this was his race. Nobody was in this race close to Max. So I also have him as number one. So I think the interesting is two through five. Who do you have? 
Yeah, so two, I think, might be a little bit interesting. This is another guy who outshone his teammate by a long shot this weekend. I have Alex Albon in a Williams picking up another point. He has all four for that team so far this season. The same, I might add, as one Lance Stroll. So <laughs> doing really well in the Williams, having a really nice drive after the summer break and just really was doing so much better than than his teammate, Nicholas Latifi. Then in third, for me, I have Fernando Alonso. Great weekend for him in that Alpine. Had a coming together with Hamilton, but ultimately I think Alonso was not at fault in that situation. And then still ended up getting a, a top five finish thanks to some odd Ferrari decisions and a Leclerc error in the pits. But I mean, P5 in that Alpine is is really well done to Fernando Alonso. And then I have in fourth, Seb Vettel. Once again, significantly better than his teammate, Lance Stroll. I thought he had some good scraps with a number of different drivers this weekend. And I think he's been really solid, especially since announcing that he's going to retire at the end of this season. And I, I think, you know, he's picked up the vast majority of points for for that Aston team. And I think his influence on that team can't be overstated, at least at this point in the season. And then in my final spot, I have Charles Leclerc. I think, you know, he knew he was going to get grid penalties, still made it into Q3, worked pretty hard for his teammate, and then still should have had a top five finish, even with a number of sort of issues that happened, including early on, he got something stuck in his brake duct, which made him come in for an early pit stop, sent him all the way to the back of the pack during the safety car, and still picked up a solid finish. So I have Leclerc as, as my fifth driver of the day. Nice. So Max, Alex, Fernando, Seb, and Charles. Excellent. I have Max at number one. My number two is Alonzo. And his team at Ocon are doing a great job there with Alpine. They are in distant fourth place, but fourth place nonetheless. And I think that is a bit of a surprise. And I thought he had a great qualifying and race today. The coming together with Hamilton almost took him out, but he he kept his head about him and had a good solid race. My number three is George. Russell, I mean, what can I say? He's He's got more points than Lewis his first year with Mercedes. That can't be overstated, I think. You know, you can write that off the first few races, but you look at the number of qualifying wins versus Lewis, you look at his points total. I think, you know, Mercedes have got themselves a great young driver. And for him to, you know, take that Mercedes, keep his head down, stay that close in the points, I think it's it's remarkable. And I think he had another solid race. My number four is Alex Albon. You had him as your number two. Great qualifying, great race. He's getting as much out of that Williams, I think, as just about anyone could. He's clearly outshone Nicholas Latifi. So great job for Alex. Always happy for him. My number five, here's where we differ, I have Pierre Gasly. Alvatore, we don't know what sort of happened to them. They seem to have fallen off a map, become irrelevant. The last several races, they've done nothing. But he put in a solid weekend and a solid race, and I believe got them back into points, finally. So I have Max, Fernando, George Russell, Alex Albon, and Pierre Gasly. 
Now, I want to get to the incident. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, one of, I think, his best traits, I mean this is high praise, is the man knows how to get the elbows out. He knows how to ding his rivals to send them off into the gravel and do it in such a way that he's guilt-free. The stewards let it go, racing incident every time. The stewards did not give him a penalty this time, but he was 100% at fault. And it was obvious from the moment it happened, like we didn't need to study it. You could see what he was doing, and that was a bit uncharacteristic. So I wondered, was it personal? You, you know, because, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of issues between him and Alonzo. Hamilton is obviously very frustrated this year. The Mercedes car has not kept up with Red Bull and Ferrari. They come back after the summer break. It seems to be even worse. There was no way he was going to make that without an incident, unless Alonso just sort of seated, and Alonso would never do that. So what do you think? you think that was personal, a bit personal, just a, another racing incident, or what? I don't think necessarily that it was personal, at least not towards Alonso. I think, like you said, Hamilton has been pretty frustrated this season and knew he needed to get a, a good start and you know was behind Alonso in that Alpine and and was trying to make up places as as fast as he could and just made a very uncharacteristic move because as you said he's good at getting the elbows out and sort of running people wide and and forcing them sort of to back off in this situation Alonso had the corner the entire time and Hamilton just ran into him which, I don't know, it just seemed like he wasn't even paying attention. In my opinion, I, I don't think it was a racing incident. I think had Hamilton still been in the race, maybe the stewards would have given him a, a penalty, but they didn't feel like it was enough to warrant a grid penalty in, in the upcoming race. So they basically did nothing. But yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a weird situation because it seems very unlike Hamilton to just sort of slam into somebody <laughs> and, i mean admittedly he did fess up to it afterwards and said it was 100 percent his fault but that he didn't see alonso there is kind of weird because he was next to him the entire time right right he said he was in his blind spot i was like no he wasn't no <laughs> no no he wasn't we all know you know it was good that lewis fessed up but it was like no he, he was not in your blind yeah. spot <laughs> that, that had nothing to do with it now of equal import is what Alonzo said. And I don't have the exact quote, and it was a bit of a dickish thing to say, but in the heat of the moment, you're out driving. I mean, drivers just on American roads will say stuff that they know they shouldn't have. Alonzo essentially said, you know, Lewis can only race when he's starting from the from the front, which is one of those great digs, like, you know, it's not writing, it's typing, where it's it's both utterly false, but it shifts your thinking. And it's going to stick with Alonzo and Lewis for a while, that statement. So what do you think of that? Well, I thought it was hilarious, and I enjoyed the fact that Alonzo said it. <laughs> I mean, 
Alonso is an angry Spanish man. <laughs> and he, I think when he gets frustrated, he just like says things and probably doesn't mean them in their entirety. I think he's well aware that Hamilton is, is one of the best drivers of all time and can win from anywhere on the grid. But when somebody just slams into you when you're going over a hundred miles an hour, I mean, you're going to be pretty frustrated and just say something offhanded. And I think what he said was both funny and I mean, it's not given the last seven or eight years, it seems not wholly inaccurate to say that Hamilton just sort of isn't accustomed to racing in the middle of the pack. He's very much always out in front and does very well there. But when he gets in the middle of everything, he kind of isn't as adept, it seems like. And I think, you know, just something funny that Alonso mentioned. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I, I think Lewis is one of the one of the great drivers of all time. But that Ferrari was so dominant that for, you know, seven, eight years, you know, the worst that Lewis would be would be at second, you know. So it's been fun to see him sort of have to work through you know, work through the pack. Keeping the focus on Mercedes, I had George as my number three driver this week. Is George in 2022, George Russell, better than Lewis Hamilton in 2022? Interesting. I still don't think so. I think Hamilton's probably still a better driver overall. I think George has a pretty good handle on on that Mercedes. But he seems to me currently like Botas Plus. So he works really well, but he's not scrappy enough. He's not like he just doesn't seem like he has the same sort of intensity that Lewis does. And I think like that is what separates them currently. And I think Lewis, I I would still give him the edge one-on-one with George Russell. Interesting. Now, speaking of intensity, I was watching the race today. Red Bull seemed to be just so far out in front. Max Verstappen so far out in front. And, you know, this is the new cars, the new regulations, a spending cap. Mercedes had that dominant car for all those years, plus overwhelming spending. I I, I don't mean to try to take anything away from the drivers, the engineers, or anyone else. But they simply had the dominant car plus dominant spending. And it made me realize just how damn hard Red Bull must have been working the past several years just to stay close. You know, I'd love to sort of read a book and or more likely watch a documentary on on all the work Red Bull were doing over the past several years just to stay within striking distance of Mercedes, you know, so I, I wanted to give, you know, hats off to Christian Horner and helmet because y- y- you know, they were going against, you know, the dominant team and they were losing, they lost every year, but, but it, it you know, it, it's pretty remarkable how close they stayed. But speaking of close, I don't think the constructors or the driver's championship is that close. We still have eight races to go. I mean, do you think, is the driver championship effectively decided? Is the constructors effectively decided with still eight races to go? 
Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I answered this question before you even asked it. Yes, it, it has been decided. You know, Ferrari had to show up today and, and prove that they were still in it. Leclerc had to show up this weekend and really prove that he could take it to max. And Ferrari and Charles did not do that. And in fact, the opposite happened. And, and Red Bull really pounded them into the ground and I think sealed that that message and just sort of told everybody that they've locked up the championship and Max has already won his second driver's championship. I don't think there's any way that any team comes back from this unless somehow the FIA investigates Red Bull, finds out that they have been spending too much and and does something crazy. So right, um, right. I, I'm here for that drama, but I don't think it'll happen. I'm with you there. Now, what about Sergio Perez? So, for example, I mean, there are a lot of Max Verstappen haters out there, and I'm not sure why. He's clearly, if you don't think he's the best driver on the grid right now, you're wrong. But you have to assume at least he's, let's say, top two, top three. He's been a great driver for years. He's been in F1 for six years, and he's only 24. And he seems like a genuinely nice fellow. And there are a lot of Max Verstappen haters out there, however, and they seem to never want to give him his due. So even when he wins, you know, he he came from P14 today. It's, well, you know, they held back Sergio. No, they did not. But is Sergio holding back Red Bull? I looked at the numbers. Max has 284. Sergio, 191. So he's, you know, He's almost 100 points behind his teammate with still eight races to go. Do you think maybe Red Bull bringing Alex Albon back would be a smart move? Ooh, that's interesting. I, I think the better option would be for them than to bring Albon back would be to bring Ricardo back. Wow. I think they need somebody to just back up Max. And I think at this point, in Albon's career, he doesn't want to be the max backup. I think Ricardo could maybe get in that mindset, but I don't know if he would drive any better than Perez would, right? So I think they have an interesting dilemma, but I think, you know, they're so much better than everybody else. I, I mean, Perez is number two in, in the driver's championship right now. So I, I don't think it's critical for them to make that decision i think they probably could get somebody to score more points than perez but i don't think he's necessarily holding them back i I think he he's doing pretty much what botas did for hamilton and mercedes for all those years and i think it serves it serves a purpose and i think red bull are are happy with what he's doing currently okay let's switch to the virtual podium so Today, Belgium Grand Prix 2022, it was Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, and Carlos Sainz. But who do you think belongs on the virtual podium, Patrick? Well, I saw this guy on like a hoverboard who was flying over the track, which I thought was kind of ridiculous and also pretty cool. So he would just like randomly fly over the track as a car was underneath him, which, you know. Hats off to that guy. You're you're <laughs> flying around on a literal hoverboard over Spa. That's pretty cool. Nice. And then my other one is just kind of silly. 
Martin Brundle, one of the commentators for Sky, he went on a rant about shiny tape on matte painted F1 cars. And he hates the way that it looks. Like, why can't they just get matte tape to go on the matte cars? And I thought it was hilarious because I love when people hate on random things (laughs) for no reason. They just have an irrational dislike of something and rant about it. That's my favorite thing to listen to. Podcast idea, nobody steal it. Just people ranting about something. Um, and, and I thought that was great from Martin Brundle that he just went on a rant about shiny tape. Ah, that's funny. And it's interesting because Martin Brundle is on my virtual podium. You know, it was a fun grid walk this morning and everybody seemed to be in a good mood, happy to be back racing again. He talked with several drivers. He talked with Ocon, Alonzo, and there was some really good banter between him and Christian Horner. I think Martin Brundle, Christian Horner Roadshow would be awesome. <laughs> you know, they both love F1. They both love cars, racing. So it was a real fun grid walk today. So Martin Brundle is on my virtual podium. Nice. Okay, let's switch to the soft compound, Patrick. There were a lot of rumors proven true, and this may have been the best summer break silly season in F1 history. Let's start with Alpine. Alonzo blindsides them. He's leaving for Aston. (laughs) Alpine says, we're going to one-up you, old man. We're bringing in the young Oscar Piastri. Oscar blindsides them, says, no, you're not. (laughs) Becoming the only young man in the history of Earth to turn down a guaranteed seat in F1. (laughs) (laughs) Then McLaren says, Daniel, we hate to do this, but here's $10 million. Go race for somebody else. So what is your take on this previous silly season? Well, (laughs) I was enjoying it. It was very silly. It made me laugh. There were memes about all of this and just how ridiculous and crazy it is to sort of set the grid for the following season. You know, Seb retires and everybody thinks, who's going to replace him? Is it going to be Mick Schumacher? Is it going to be somebody else? And then randomly, out of nowhere, Alonzo says, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take that that old man's seat, trade one old man for another, which is sort of out of the blue and crazy. And and I thought it was funny because everybody made memes about Alonzo and his horrendous career moves. (laughs) Right. Because he's sort of notorious for making bad career moves. But I mean, then then the whole Piastri fiasco was incredible the way that it unfolded. I, I mean Can you imagine being like a 20-year-old and having a a contract handed to you to race in Formula One and saying, nah, I don't think I want to do that? You know, I feel bad for him because Zach Brown, the team principal for McLaren, you know, he signed Lando to a big deal. He signed 
Daniel Ricardo to a big deal, then fired him. He signed several American drivers to big deals, all with, from what we're hearing, you know, rumors or promises of, of being the next F1 driver when the seat opens up. Well, the seat is opened up. If Oscar does not get that seat, he might get, you know, blacklisted out of F1. He has terrible management. I hope he does get the seat because I think him and Lando would be fierce rivals on the same team, yet both excellent drivers. So that would be fun to see. But if he's not in that McLaren next year, then wow, that was a bad, bad career move on his part. Yeah, I I think we kind of, everybody just sort of, accepted the fact that he would be the next Alpine driver once Alonso left. And for whatever reason, he decided not to do that. Even when guys, really good young indie drivers who are already signed to McLaren contracts like Colton Herta or Pato Award, you know, are sort of clawing for this seat at McLaren as well. I, I think it's sort of crazy to me to turn down one seat and sort of fight for another one on a team that has been no better than than the one year sort of being gifted a seat to right and my assumption is that his management isn't horrible that he isn't stupid and that essentially alpine had said look fernando's coming back for one more year you're gonna have to set up one more year and then then he balked and so he let his contract lapse signed a deal with McLaren, and then Alonso said he was leaving. So we'll see. Speaking of people who have a seat but maybe shouldn't have, Nicholas Latifi. There was an interview with the principal, Williams, and he said, no, no, Nicholas is doing just fine. We're planning on bringing him back in 2023. And my reaction was, I think, the same as everyone's. If you bring Latifi back in 2023, you're not a serious team. And it's time for Williams to become a serious team or let's let the Andretti folks buy them out. We know Audi's moving into F1, let Porsche buy them out. You can't keep a guy in. There was, for money reasons, you know, Latifi brought money into the team. He was a fair driver in F2, but I don't know. It's frustrating to hear that Williams saying they're going to bring him back. And I assume they're just being nice and they won't bring him back. But if they do, I think they're no longer a serious team. I think it would be better for Williams to race with one driver and one car than to bring Latifi back. (laughs) Now, they would get the same amount of points, right? So it's (laughs) not like it matters, and they would spend less money. Right, right. You could put all that money into it. Yeah, only one Williams. That's funny. That is funny. But there's still an open seat in Alpine. And we got the fun rumor that it could be an all-French team. Pierre Gasly moving from AlphaTauri to Alpine. I don't think Pierre and Esteban particularly like each other, which I like because I like teams where there's acrimony. (laughs) But it would be interesting to have two French drivers and the all-French team. What do you think of that? I think that would be great. I would like to see that. I think it would be... A fun and interesting team. I think they'd have some exciting battles together, and I think ultimately that Alpine would could continue to compete with the likes of McLaren with those two drivers. I think they're two really solid young drivers. Gasly has has kind of faltered a bit in the AlphaTauri this year, but that AlphaTauri has been pretty poor overall. 
So, you know, to, to get him back in a, in a solid car, I think that that would be a lot of fun to see. Okay, across the line, that is our segment where we predict the top five for the next race. We earn points for this, three points if you select the right driver in the right spot, one point if your driver does finish in the top five. Patrick, what are the current standings up through Belgium? Through Belgium, you are sitting on 56 points to my 48 Wow. Uh, so just an eight point gap can be made up in no time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you have the first pick this week. Okay. Well, the next race is Netherlands. And and I believe Max won that last year. Max was in the zone this week. So I'm going to go with Max. Not a bad pick. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think for the last time, I'm going to give Ferrari a chance to get me <laughs> some points. I will go Signs P1, Leclerc P2. Ooh, nice. And I don't know what point difference there is between them. I believe Charles is about five or so points ahead of Carlos. So that might I think it's 15. Is it 15? Okay. So yeah, that's a good one. Let's see. You have, uh, then we'll have something like here for my number two. I will go with George, number two, Sergio, number three. Nice. Then my three, four, I think, let's see, who do I want on the podium? I think we'll do Ocon on the podium and then Hamilton P4. Okay. My four and five, I will go with Pierre and then Alonso. Oh, nice. Interesting. Then I think we've got both Ferraris, both Red Bulls, both Mercedes, and both Alpines. I got to then take the team that really needs some solid points, McLaren. I'll go Lando Norris for P5. Yeah, it's pretty shocking how much we've forgotten McLaren this year. They they should be doing better. I, I'm not sure why they're not. So, for Netherlands, I have Max, George, Sergio, then Pierre, and Alonso. You have Carlos, Charles, and Esteban, then Lewis and Lando. Nice. All right, crazy predictions. Crazy predictions for next race or the rest of the season. I would just like to say that earlier in the season, I made a crazy prediction that Daniel Ricciardo and Mick Schumacher would both be out of F1 next year. That is still a possibility. They don't have seats for next year yet. So some of these crazy predictions could come true. Do you have a crazy prediction for us, Patrick? That's a good question. Do I have a crazy prediction for Netherlands or the rest of the season? I think that for the rest of the season, we will only see Red Bull wins, Sergio or Max. 
Wow. That would be an indictment of Ferrari and Mercedes if that came true. That that would be quite something. With the new regulations, with the cost rules, the spending cap, for Red Bull to be that dominant, that would be a testament to, to them as a team and, and an indictment of Ferrari and Mercedes in particular. Here's my crazy prediction. I noticed that on the podium today was Sergio and Carlos, both Spanish as their primary language. So my crazy prediction is Mexico, we will have all three will be primary Spanish speakers. Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz, and Fernando Alonso on the podium. (laughs) Interesting. That would be kind of fun if it happened, actually. All right, I want to remind our listeners, send your questions or comments to hardcompoundpod at gmail.com. We may read them on the show. We definitely will read them. And I also wish to thank you for listening to everybody's most beloved father and son F1 podcast. And we are Lights Out. See ya. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Super show, son. That was a fun show. It was. It was good. Finally, F1 is back and get three races in a row. So that's pretty cool.